Today we bring you the story of a real-life Forrest Gump, a ghost hunter who is stuck trying to catch some ghosts, and we tell you some tales of some creepy Christmas legends. Those stories more on this It's a Merry Scary Christmas episode, which starts now. You're listening to the Mr. Cemetery Show, the podcast that's dedicated to the dark corners of the world. From weird news to historical oddities and the unexplained mysteries, here's your host, Mr. Cemetery. Hello and welcome to the show, you sick twisted freaks. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new here, make sure you hit subscribe to this little podcast so you don't miss an episode. This is the Mr. Cemetery Show. I am Josh. And I'm Krista. We appreciate you joining us today. Good morning, Krista. How are you doing? All right. How are you? Sleepy. 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 Tired. Sleepy, sleepy, tired. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll get over it. I always do. <laughs> I get sleep. And then I wake up and I'm tired again. Sucks Sissy. getting old. Call me a wussy. Sissy. Sissy. Rude, by the way. A little bit. Yeah. We wrap up our Merry Christmas movie marathon this week. Are yeah. you excited about wrapping it up? Yeah. Getting it wrapped. See what I did there? I see <laughs> what you did there. For all month long, we have told you our favorite Christmas movies or TV specials to get us through this holiday season. And today, it all comes to an end with our final three picks. Last week, Krista picked Prancer, Harry Potter, and Bad Santa. I picked Scooby-Doo Haunted Holidays, The Children, which I got docked for, <laughs> whatever, and Santa with Muscles, brother. Yeah. <laughs> what are your final three picks this week? Um, I think you might have already picked these, but this is my list, so I'm going with it, and it's Christmas. Oh, oh fun. Well, so, fun. Okay. Uh, Muppets Christmas Carol. I like that one. I have not picked that one. You didn't one pick that one. No. I love it. That's was, my favorite. <laughs> I almost did because, yes, that is probably the best Christmas Carol movie yes, ever. I love that one. And The Santa Claus. Yes. Tim Allen. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that too. Yeah. Uh, and Charlie Brown's Christmas. I forgot about Charlie Brown's Christmas. You didn't pick that one either? I couldn't no. remember. I picked Charlie Brown everything. Yeah. I forgot Charlie Brown's Christmas. It's a good one. It is a good one. I hate it's myself. It's got the right little now. guy dancing all weird in the corner. Like always watch for him. He cracks me up. The dancing guy's <laughs> the greatest part. <laughs> That's how I got my moves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I picked How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the 1966 version. Hell with the Jim Carrey version. I've refused to watch the newer version because the 1966 version was freaking perfect. Is that the cartoon? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I that's, love that one. It's yeah. like the best one ever. Yeah. Don't need no other ones. Yeah. Just that one. Stick with the classics. Rudolph the Red Nose freaking reindeer. Yeah. Can't have Christmas without the little Rudolph Red Nose. Mm-hmm. I'm 40 years old. I still fucking love it. And the toss-up. It was hard when picking the last one because I could have gone so many other ways. But this is a newer movie and I freaking love it. And it's got a little different take on Santa. It stars Mel Gibson. It's called Fat Man. Yeah. Yeah. Love the Fat Man. <laughs> I'm a fat man. Gotta stick out with Fat Man. It's about a 12-year-old who hires a hitman to kill Santa because he got coal in the stockings. It's the weirdest action Santa movie gunfights, missiles. It's got it all. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. Sticking with your weird-ass shit, I went with that one. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. Those are our picks. 
I would also like to remind everyone the Statue of Liberty is the largest Christmas gift ever given. Was it a Christmas gift? It was. Standing over 150 feet tall and weighing 225 tons, or one me, the Statue of Liberty is an impressive figure. And since it was considered a holiday gift when it was given to the U.S. by the French in 1886, it's officially the largest Christmas present in the world. I would say. Krista, did you know that on December 24th, 1877, Thomas Edison filed for patents for the phonograph? No, I didn't. I oh, wonder who he stole it from. Ooh, we gonna go there, huh? Yeah. Huh? Huh? Not huh? a real f- Edison fan, sorry. Well, <laughs> live with it, because it happened. <laughs> okay. Well, what about in 1956, I Love Lucy Christmas show it aired? Yeah. I like Lucy. But CBS never put it in syndication. <laughs> they didn't like it. CBS never put it in syndication with the other episodes because they didn't think anyone would want to watch Christmas-themed episodes at any time of the year besides holiday season. Oh, yeah, until they started doing reruns. <laughs> yeah. This was also the first ever clip show slash flashback show on television. Wow. Yeah. This was the last movie Walt Disney himself ever approved and the first movie he wasn't around to work on. Yeah? Yeah. Sounds about right, though, that yeah. he approved. Yeah. I feel like Disney's kind of went. Yeah, I agree. And in 2011, Cheetah died. Cheetah? Cheetah. Cheetah was a chimpanzee actor in the 1930 Tarzan franchise. He died of kidney failure at the age of 80. Wow. Yeah, that's sad. Of all that being said, let's turn it over to some weird news. Naked Ghost Hunter gets stuck in a gate in bizarre quest to find paranormal activity. Really? <laughs> yes. Merry Christmas. <laughs> he was spotted by a man who started filming as he warned the man to not rip his testicles off on the sharp metal. The unarmed man was filmed after getting the top half of his body stuck through a white metal gate while apparently out chasing ghosts. The incident was filmed by an onlooker in southwest Russia. The images show a nude man seemingly getting annoyed that no one will help him out before he somehow wiggled free. <laughs> the man filming can be heard asking, what happened? To which the naked man replies, I'm a paranormalist. It's not clear on this occasion what the man was looking for while naked, but he was clearly stuck and can be seen asking the cameraman to open the gate. The person filming says, how can I open it? I don't even have the key. The totally naked man finally manages to shimmy his way out. Why was he naked? <laughs> hmm? Hmm? I got pictures. You want to see? No. <laughs> I think I'm all right. <laughs> uh, you sure? Yeah. I'll send them to you. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's the crazy Russians. Well, yeah. I don't know. I we don't need clothes. <laughs> clothes? I don't need no we clothes. You don't need stinky clothes. I, I, I have, yeah. Don't even know on this one. Weird. Have you ever ghost hunted naked? Never. <laughs> I can not say that I've ever done that, but... Maybe. I don't think it would help. No? No. I've never done it. Don't plan on it. Maybe. Not maybe I'll add that to my bucket list. I'm pretty sure that would scare the ghost. Poor ghost. Man. <laughs> the Mr. Cemetery Show will return after these messages. Are you in the spine-tingling crime stories? 
and Krista McKibben's Hatchet Man book is for you. It's a chilling tale set in the 1800s about one of America's earliest serial killers, whose disturbing crimes occurred in both Ohio and Maryland. The book also includes a full trial and confession as told by the Baltimore Sun. Hatchet Man by Krista McKibben is available on paperback and Kindle, only at Amazon.com. Do you like gothic home decor? Then check out Spooky Cookies Estee Shop. Take a journey into the old haunted library with a book of spell soy wax melt. Or try the Lavender Skull Soy Candle, which is clean burning, ideal for people with allergies or respiratory issues. And there's so much more, from original spooky vinyl stickers to graveyard photography. So check out Spooky Cookies Estee Shop today. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. Do you like coffee like we do? Try our friends over at Sinister Coffee and Creamery. Sinister Coffee was founded in 2018 and has been a woman-owned business from the very beginning. Their beans are prepared in small batches to ensure a perfect roast. Sinister Coffee and Creamery also offer coffee subscriptions delivered to your door as often as you like. They offer weekly, monthly, quarterly, or however you like. Don't believe us? Order a small batch of organic coffee today and try it for yourself and use our special discount code CEMETERY10 to save 10% off your order. Again, that code is CEMETERY10. Now, back to the Mr. Cemetery Show. And we're back. I really can't believe that you didn't want to see the naked guy stuck in a gate. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> we can make it a Christmas card. That would make a great Christmas card. <laughs> Next year, it's so going to happen. <laughs> Guess what? What? You go first today. Oh. Yeah. I do, don't I? Yes. All right. What do you got? I've got a real life Forrest Gump named Timothy Dexter. Now, this isn't what Forrest Gump was based off of. I looked that up and actually I don't even remember. It's just some people that the author knew. Yeah. Kind of thing. Or. Um, but if he was to be based off anybody else, it'd be this guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's so funny. It's, <laughs> his name is Timothy Dexter. Timothy was born in 1747, beginning his life in poverty in Malden, Massachusetts. And from a young age, he started dreaming big. So in the second grade, he made the bold decision to drop out of school and seek his fortune. Yeah. At eight years old, Timothy found work as a farm laborer. And at 16, he began a new job as a tanner's apprentice. Although financially doing well for himself, or at least much better than when he began his journey at eight years old, Timothy realized that this job wasn't going to make him rich like he had dreamed of. And so he set off to seek his fortune in the booming town of Newburyport, Massachusetts, at the age of 19. Upon his arrival, he met a 32-year-old rich widow named Elizabeth Frothingham and promptly married her and purchased a mansion, then dubbed himself Lord Timothy Dexter. He might as well. Heck <laughs> yeah. Okay. Dexter soon became bored with his newfound wealth and started looking to the other wealthy people in town to see what they did with their time. He saw that many of them held political offices, so he then decided to run for office as well. However, the voters quickly realized that Timothy was an uneducated second grade dropout and he lost the election. Aww. <laughs> this loss wouldn't deter Timothy, though, and he began petitioning the town to let him have a political position anyway. The town told him no, that's not how democracy works, but Timothy still kept sending carefully outlined petitions explaining why they needed to appoint him. The town ultimately had to bring in experts 
to decipher what he wrote, as he was extremely illiterate, and his petitions were riddled with spelling mistakes and deeply confusing. That's my guy right there. <laughs> Heck yeah. So after deciphering his petitions, the town would immediately reject them, but Timothy would still continue to send more anyway. Eventually, the town would get so fed up that they decided to give him a fake title just to get him to stop and to low-key humiliate him. <laughs> the title given to him was the Informer of Deer. Nice. His job was to go all around Newburyport and look for any activity of deer and log it. The joke was, in Newburyport, there are no deer. Oh, rude. <laughs> but Timothy did not see the joke. He took his new title very seriously. And so he went all over town and carefully documented all deer activity, of which there were none. And at the end of his term, Timothy felt very accomplished and was ready to move on from office, so he handed his logbook in and told the town that they should pass it along to the next informer of deer. But when they opened the book, they only found crude drawings of deer and indecipherable ramblings about deer. And ultimately threw the book away, and the informer of deer was never filled again. Bullcrap. <laughs> Position needs to be filled today. Right? <laughs> Shortly afterwards, the American Revolution broke out, and America began creating its own money called the Continental Dollar to pay its troops. It wasn't backed by silver or gold, but only the promise of future value if America won the war. However, with overprinting and inflation, the dollar would essentially become worthless. Some of the wealthy people in Newburyport decided to do the troops a favor and buy their continental currency for a fraction of the price, which was better than nothing. Timothy saw this and wanted in on the action. He didn't view this as a favor to the troops. He saw this as a great investment opportunity because he believed America would win the war and his currency would eventually gain a lot of value, and so he would sink all of his savings into buying back the continental dollar. When his wealthy peers learned of Timothy's investment, they felt he made a terrible mistake because they thought even if America won, the currency wouldn't be really worth much. But instead of feeling sorry for him, they were happy about it because they were so annoyed with Timothy and didn't like that because he was so rich, he was kind of on their level, even though he was so uncultured and uneducated. They were actually thrilled at the idea that he might go bankrupt. However, at the end of the war, Congress made good on their word and backed the currency, making Timothy one of the richest people in America overnight. <laughs> Way to stick it to him, dude. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this story, <laughs> it keeps going. <laughs> Right away, Timothy used his second windfall to purchase the largest, most luxurious mansion in Newburyport, containing tasteful and commodious outhouses. All right. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> he then decided to have 40 wooden statues constructed of famous men on his front lawn. The statues included George Washington, Napoleon Bonaparte, and Thomas Jefferson, and of course, one of himself, with an inscription that read, I am the first in the East, the first in the West and the greatest philosopher in the Western world. <laughs> Nobody understood that. <laughs> when the sculptor was done, Timothy went to inspect all 40 statues and found what he believed a huge mistake on the inscription of the Thomas Jefferson statue. It said, author of the Declaration of Independence. Thomas told the sculptor it should be author of the Constitution. When the sculptor told him, no, that wasn't right, Thomas became angry and returned with a gun and began shooting at the sculptor's feet until he made the change. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy later found another mistake under the George Washington statue, which only said George Washington in the inscription. So he took some paint and covered it up and just wrote, Pitt. 
At this, the other wealthy people in the town began to really resent Timothy for his wealth and status, so they began to come up with ways to ruin him. They did decide to give him bad investment advice in hopes of making him go bankrupt and hopefully just go away. This town is so much full of asses. (laughs) (laughs) The first terrible tip would be to suggest that he purchase a bunch of warming pans and send them to the Great Caribbean. Warming pans are these metal pans with long handles you put coals in them and stick under your mattress to get your bed warm yeah back then really good in the northeast where it gets cold not so helpful in the caribbean Mm. no so timothy believing he was getting great advice from his fellow wealthy friends took this advice to heart and purchased two ships and filled them with forty thousand warming pans and sent them to the caribbean oh no (laughs) When the warming pans arrived, the locals had no idea what they were or what they were for, but eventually decided they made excellent ladles for molasses, and the pans completely sold out for a huge profit. (laughs) Fuck yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Timothy went back to his aristocrat friends and thanked them for their great advice, which only made them furious. (laughs) So they decided to give him even worse advice that was sure to ruin him. They told Timothy to buy up a bunch of coal, and send it to Newcastle, England. Newcastle, being the coal capital of the world, created the expression, that's like sending coal to Newcastle, meaning what you're doing is completely pointless. (laughs) But in Timothy's eyes, these fine folks had never steered him wrong, so he took their advice and loaded his ships with coal and sent them to Newcastle. It just so happened that when the ships arrived, the coal workers in Newcastle had went on strike, thus creating a coal shortage, and so his shipments sold out, creating another huge profit. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And so once again, Timothy thanked his friends for the great advice. At this point, the aristocrats are truly irate, and they pitch him one more lousy investment tip. This was that he should buy up a whole bunch of whalebone, because someday it's going to be worth a lot of money. At the time, whalebone was very expensive and losing its value. But again, Timothy took their advice and stockpiled thousands of pounds of whalebones in his basement, And as luck would have it, shortly afterwards, it became fashionable in France for men to wear corsets, which were made of whalebone. (laughs) And once again, Timothy's investment paid off, and he tipped his hat to his friends for the third time. You know, they're so, so pissed. (laughs) Big pissed. Big pissed. (laughs) Eventually, Timothy became confident that he too could identify a good investment and he purchased all the stray cats in Newburyport that were set to be euthanized because he thought that the mating feral cats would make great house pets in the Caribbean. So he loaded them all up onto his ships and sent them to the Caribbean. The cats would then sell like hotcakes due to the rat infestation the islands were currently experiencing. (laughs) (laughs) Timothy later wanted to know how he would be remembered after he died, so he faked his death, and from a distance, while watching his own funeral and he noticed his wife did not appear as upset as he thought she should and so he leapt out from his hiding spot in front of everyone and began beating her with a cane Oof. <laughs> Dang. timothy would eventually begin to tell people that his wife was dead when she was not and when people came to the mansion and clearly saw that she was alive and well he would just tell them that she was a ghost <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna start doing that nope chris is a ghost and because he was so rich and influential people just began to view her as a ghost as well. (laughs) Just before his death, Timothy penned an autobiography titled A Pickle for the Knowing Ones. Nice. A book, by the way, that is currently available on Amazon for just a few dollars. (laughs) 
Really? Yes. All right. This book contains a total of 24 pages of completely illiterate rambling without any sort of punctuation of any kind. That's my guy. (laughs) The book was so terrible that it actually sold out very quickly because people thought it was funny to buy the book. (laughs) After being criticized for not putting any punctuations in his book, Timothy printed a second edition where at the end he included a single page with 13 lines of nothing but punctuation marks and a note at the bottom that read, Go ahead and sprinkle these in as you see fit. (laughs) I love this guy. In 1806, Lord Timothy Dexter, the informer of deer, passed away quietly for real. Dang. This guy is freaking great. He's awesome. I love every bit about this. Gotta be like luckiest man in the world. Yeah. It's the funniest thing ever. God, you know that town was just like Uh so pissed off. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love it. It's good funny. story. Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that guy. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just, I want to see their faces. Like, oh, yeah. I can just see him being just completely irate, just mad as all. Oh, he's so pissed. I love it. I love everything. We'll say that this guy's book is so bad, it makes me feel good about mine. So, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want this guy's book now. Yeah, I've seen. A couple pages of it online. It's you can't even hardly read it. It's just everything's run together. There's there's no punctuation. It's reading paper from a second grader. You don't need punctuation. <laughs> and it's bad misspelling. You got to try to figure it out. <laughs> you ever read my stuff? Yeah, you do good compared to what this is. Uh, we'll see. We'll mm-hmm. see. I like it. It's a good story. Good story. It's funny. Yeah. Well, for most people, Christmas is seen as a time of peace and togetherness, where you can spend quality time with your family drinking the eggnog and opening presents. But there's many Christmas legends and stories from around the world that aren't quite as innocent as old Jolly St. Nick. Today, I'm going to be talking about a few different lores and legends. First is a legend from Iceland that has inspired fear in the hearts of children for hundreds of years. This story is called Grilla, the Christmas Child Eater. Wow. It's yeah. not where I thought you were going. it's christmas eve and the little boy named gunner is in his room playing with his little sister when he hears a noise at his window he thinks it's just the wind and ignores it but little does he know he's being watched very closely by a yule lad you see in the mountains there lives a giant horned troll named grilla and she has 13 sons known as the yule lads each of these lads has a different job for example there's porta snicker the pot licker who steals leftovers from pots that's you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's where you were going to go. <laughs> There's Curtis Snicker, who steals candles from children. <laughs> Why do children have candles? <laughs> <laughs> Little Gunner is being watched by Glugger the window peeper, who looks in the bedrooms of children looking to steal their toys. He's a pervert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I just like toys. I could get into it. Unfortunately for Gunner, stolen toys are the least of his worries. Since the window peeper notices how cruelty Gunner is towards his sister, the window peeper rushes back to this mountain home and informs his mother of this since he knows she has an appetite for naughty children. Ooh. Later that night, Gunner is playing outside alone. He hears a rustling noise in the darkness. Before he can run away, he feels the cold dead fingers wrapped around his body and is being tossed into a sack. Inside the sack are other children who try in vain to claw their way out, but Grilla takes her kids to her cave home. She tosses them into a cauldron where they are boiled to death and promptly eaten by the whole troll family. The story of Grilla was often used to scare children into behaving 
but it was so effective that in 1746, the Icelandic government basically said it was unlawful to use the legend as an intimidation acting, which is pretty incredible if you think about it. Well, yeah, it was effective. <laughs> yeah, I can't even think of another example of a legend being essentially banned because it's considered too scary. I think that's the problem now. It's like we've made everything so cutesy and yeah. there's, there's no consequences at all. <laughs> so over the years, the story of Grilla and her sons evolved into a much more family-friendly affair. The Yule Lads are now appear in the 13 days leading up to the Christmas. Instead of scaring kids, they instead spread holiday cheer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bad kids don't even get eaten anymore. They just get a rotten potato or something instead of a gift. A <laughs> rotten potato. Yeah, here's your rotten potato. Rotten potato. My next story comes from France, and it goes a little something like this. When Christmas approaches, naughty children in Alsace and Lorraine tremble when their parents utter the words, Hans Trap is coming. Everyone knows the tale of Santa's evil counterpart. According to the legend, during the 15th century, there was a rich and powerful man who lived in the heart of Alsace. His name was Hans Trapp. The people of Alsace knew him to be a vain, cunning, heartless, and cruel man. His life was given to lawlessness and debauchery, and his whole goal was to enrich himself by all means necessary. It was said that he worshipped the Satan and used black magic and occult rituals to obtain his wealth and hold on to his power. When the Catholic Church became aware of these misdeeds, Hans Trapp was arrested and brought before the Pope in Rome. He was excommunicated from the church for his crime of sacrilege. When he returned to Alsace, he was ostracized by the local people. Everyone fled from him as if he was a wild beast. His money and land was confiscated and he was left penniless. They say he was forced into exile into the forest and isolated himself from the rest of society. He found shelter in the mountains in Germany where he built himself a makeshift shack out of sticks. Yeah, what I'd do. Screw yeah. him. Screw him all. The solitude caused him to lose his mind. He spent his days brooding and dreaming of revenge. His anger and resentment were infested and became more deeply devoted to the Satanism. Descending into madness, Hans Trapp began to dream of eating human flesh. The evil man was so obsessed with a desire to bite into human flesh, being an arm, leg, or even a thigh. <laughs> he roamed the countryside and disguised himself as a scarecrow by stuffing ragged clothes with straw. He spent time gathering sticks and hay from the fields and laying around waiting for the perfect victim. One day he spotted a young shepherd boy making his way through the woods. The boy was only 10 years of age, but Han Trapp was determined to kill and eat him. As he stared at the young boy, he began to drool at his mouth, imagining biting the delicious, tender flesh. <laughs> Before the boy knew what was happening, Han Trapp pounced, attacking the victim viciously and stabbing him with a sharpened stick. Then he dragged the dying child back to his shack, where he cut the boy into small pieces, roasted them over an open fire. When this monstrous meal was ready, Hans Trapp licked his lips and prepared to taste human flesh for the first time. However, before a morsel could enter his mouth, a bolt of lightning came from the sky and struck him dead. As the story goes, God would not allow the abomination to continue and decided to end the crimes of Hans Trapp's once and for all. Since that time, Hans Trapp's was remained a terrifying legend in the folklore of Alsace and Lorraine. Every Christmas, he goes from house to house, clad in his scarecrow disguise, scaring the life out of small children and drooling greedily over their tender flesh. You know, a lot of those old stories seem to have a lot of child eating. Yeah. They must have really had a problem with cannibalism back then. Yeah. <laughs> there were some facts I almost went in with, like, the mincemeat pie. Yeah. Um, they had to question that through the years because people were actually putting humans in oh, the mincemeat wow. pies. Yeah, they're, it's really weird Strange. if you start looking into stuff. Yeah, I mean, I remember some of the 
original, like old versions are as far original as I know of, but like with the Grimm's, the actual Grimm's fairy yeah. tale and stuff, and they're pretty gross and it's Yeah. There's a lot of kid eating. Yeah. <laughs> then it kind of makes you wonder, like, how big of a problem was this? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, those those are my happy, happy holiday stories. Yeah, I'm very happy. Yes. So, I thought it was interesting. That's pretty neat. Yeah. I've never heard those. No? Mm-mm. Pretty good ones. I thought you were going Krampus. No? <laughs> Didn't go that way. You would have thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Turn that around. <laughs> well, guess what? We have a user story today. What? Yeah. Oh, well, Merry freaking Christmas. Merry Christmas. This was sent to us by an Instagram follower who wants to stay anonymous. Their story is called The Little Boy, and it goes a little something like this. Mm. My husband and I have had roommates since we moved into our house in order to help make ends meet. During the time, one roommate in particular, Patrick, was living with us. I would sometimes get the feeling of being watched, so I started to pay attention to when I got these feelings in order to determine if there was some sort of a pattern, something that would explain the feelings. After a month or so of writing down the times when I got these feelings, I couldn't determine any particular pattern. So I decided to make my notes more detailed, such as who was at home and what we were doing and what room I was in. After another month or so, I came to realize that these feelings only occurred when Patrick was home. At first, I suspected that maybe Patrick was the guilty party. But knowing him as well as I did, I had a difficult time believing that to be the case. Aside from that, I know that my husband wouldn't have noticed Patrick if he'd been lurking in on me as the feelings came, whether or not my husband was home. Nonetheless, I paid more attention to Patrick for a while and even searched my bedroom and bathroom for signs of video equipment or something. All of this was to no avail and I eventually just grew to tolerate it. Patrick lived with us for a little over a year. A few days prior to his moving out, he and I were alone in the house and got into one of our usual deep conversations. At some point, he told me about the spirit of a little boy that has seemed to follow him around for as long as he can remember. When he was younger, Patrick noticed it more frequently, but to this day, he's still aware of the boy's presence. Patrick has even seen the little boy on a few occasions, and has also said that a few of his friends had also seen the little boy. Patrick doesn't know the little boy's name or why he follows him around, but the spirit has never harmed Patrick in any way. Instead, He's gone out of his way to protect Patrick from dangerous situations. Anyway, when Patrick moved out, the little boy did too, and I've had no feelings of being watched since. That's the reason I believe that while Patrick lived with us, the spirit of a little boy roomed here also. Kids are creepy. Yeah. Ghost kids are creepy. Ghost cows are creepy. Mm. That's weird. Maybe it's just the guardian angel. Mm, Could be. I feel like something's been taking care of me. They've had their work cut out for them, but definitely... (laughs) Especially when it comes to trees. Yeah? Yes. I've been almost killed by trees a couple times. (laughs) They're just standing there. No. I'm just standing there. (laughs) Or sitting, whatever. And they fall down. (laughs) It's true. And I've had other close calls in my life that probably shouldn't be here now. Send us your personal, haunted, or just plain weird stories, as this user did. Send it to us at the Mr. Cemetery Show at gmail.com. There's a link in the show notes, so send us your stories. That's going to wrap up this episode of the Mr. Cemetery Show. If you want to support the podcast, become a funeral friend. Join us over on Patreon for only $5 a month. You get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content, signed photos of Mr. Cemetery's grave photography, 
and so much more content that we can't post on social medias. So check that out. For all things Mr. Cemetery, head over to flow.page forward slash Mr. Cemetery. Until next time, I'm Josh. And I'm Krista. Thanks for listening to the Mr. Cemetery Show. Remember kids, stay creepy. See ya!